today on Ag News Daily. I'm a fifth-generation producer. Uh, my great-grandfather bought the farm that we're on in, in 1918, and we're very proud of that. Uh, we've always had pigs, been known as big people, you know, in, in our local community. Well, here we are, December 7th, 2023. Delaney woke up to the sound of applause this morning. Feeling like a rock star, are you? Yep, definitely, Tanner. Thank you. <laughs> oh, what a great day to do a podcast. We've got good interviews coming up with you or coming up for you today with us. Hit some weather. We've got a lot of wind across most of the Midwest. South Dakota is going to have gusts up to 55 miles per hour. Winds will be sustained for most of the Midwest, 25 to 35 miles per hour. Gusty winds could blow objects that are not tied down. Of course, Iowa's got a chance to break records for temperatures today, as well as some other states getting a nice little warm reprieve before winter sets in. Southeastern Kansas, northeastern Oklahoma, also breezy, but pretty much clear as far as that goes, Delaney. Not a ton here in our listener base that are going to see any severe weather. I don't think anybody's probably going to be too upset about that one. Nope, that was a good weather report to share. It certainly was. I'm here in Ohio for a few days, Tanner, speaking to a crop insurance group tonight. And the weather here is pretty nice as well. So I can attest it's all across the Corn Belt. Nice. I like that. Well, I'm going to jump right into my next headline, probably stealing one from you. A three-year pilot program from Growmark and Interplant will put out plots of inner soy. This is a startup's first commercial, commercial product. These soybeans are engineered to be fluorescent when under attack from fungus. So it's a early warning sign of disease infestation that will be on production for soybean farms. The two, there's a twofold goal, precision scouting and approved agronomic focus on fungus diseases that come across. This is going to provide sustainable options for farmers to be able to target those that are stressed crops with the products that they need when they need it. The interesting part will be how they detect this fluorescent lighting when scouting. Growmark says its pilot will layer this technology with others that they've got, such as spore cams and remote sensing and manual infield scouting to be able to take a look at this. They know that farmers face a tremendous amount of risk from weather, geopolitical events, and other pathogens, which is why this pilot gives farmers first access to cutting-edge technology that might help procure and save their soybean yield. So kind of interesting there, Delaney, when you look at the pictures in this article, it is. It does glow. So under the right light, it'll be quite interesting to see this product come to life. You got very excited about the glowing part. I did. That's why I wanted to report on it. <laughs> well, I did not have that headline pulled up, so you were good to report on it. But one headline I did have pulled up, Tanner, is continued layoffs in the ag sector here as we're seeing a lot of consolidation and folks maybe but battering down, buckling down for a potential looming recession and a tighter ag economy in 2024, Smithfield Foods just released a statement that they will end contracts with 26 different hog farms in the United States, specifically in the state of Utah, as they are working to tighten up their supply chain, as well as pork producers and processors. They said pork producers have been losing money as pig prices and consumer demand have been struggling with the time of high costs for labor and other expenses. And they are also going to be terminating employees as well as ending contracts with those 26 hog farms. Layoffs may total about 70 different employees or up to one third of the total 210 workers in Smithfield's Utah hog 
production facility. Tanner, this is just one of many layoffs and cutbacks we're seeing, not only in Smithfield in the pork industry, but in the ag industry as a whole. Uh, you know, we we look at other industries, the tech sector, healthcare uh, is kind of the one that hasn't really seen a lot of layoffs, but a lot of other sectors have already been heading this direction and we're starting to eat, see ag follow suit here. And this is just the latest of, I'm sure, many more that will be coming. You're probably not wrong. We've got more headlines here coming from the carbon pipeline sector. Summit Carbon Solutions, which hopes to build their five-state pipeline, <clears throat> did win a couple of court cases this week. A federal judge on Monday permanently barred two Iowa counties from enforcing their ordinances that would restrict the placement of the CO2 pipeline in their county. Both Shelby and Story counties had adopted restrictions after the proposed pipeline systems were put together. And the judge stated that those ordinances, which set minimum distances to locate pipelines away from cities, homes, schools, and other sites, have requirements that will not be enforceable. Now, Summit may use this ruling coming from the courts to help them with their cases in South and North Dakota for their underground sequestration sites. These counties are now stated that they cannot create ordinances specifically for one pipeline. That does not mean that there can't be future plans from these counties to potentially put restrictions on this. But the challenge of the restrictions says the limitations were too severe and unrealistic. The judge stated that if the decision is to have other rationale, they can certainly appeal. But as of right now, the counties are to cease enforcement of their minimum distance and safety requirements and give written notice to any county employees that have been trying to enforce those ordinances. So a little victory there on the side of the pipeline company, Delaney. Well, Tanner, in some different news here. Kansas State University has been awarded a very large research grant to collaborate with other U.S. Corn Belt universities on research meant to understand how agricultural practices will impact local environmental conditions, as well as how climate change can damage agriculture long term. The millions of dollars of funding here will be a longer term study where K-State will collaborate with Iowa State and many other uh, land grant universities here in the Midwest to find out ways that climate change may be impacting agriculture. The $16.3 million grant project will be carried out at eight different research facilities across the Midwest, and the study's length is meant to examine how environmental conditions, agricultural practices, and plant genetics will change over time, and how changing climate conditions could impact that. Funding for the project comes from a mix of dollars awarded from various research groups and state university contributions, and this project begins after the release of the fifth National Climate Assessment in November, Tanner. So these folks will be geared at figuring out how agriculture will weather the storm. Yeah, I think that will be interesting research for us to share on future episodes. Got my ethanol report. Ethanol production jumped to the highest in four months for the last seven days. Production rose to an average of 1.076 million barrels, up from 1.011. Again, that is the highest level since the week of July 21st. Ethanol stockpiles were up modestly, rising to 21.43 million barrels, up from 21.379. We also saw that an activist was 
sentenced to jail on charges of conspiracy and trespassing. A California judge sentenced high-profile animal rights activist to 90 days in jail, followed by two years of probation for his conspiracy of trespassing convictions that stem from two poultry farm protests near Petaluma more than five years ago. Wayne Hissing, 42 years old, co-founder of Direct Action Everywhere, will serve his time in the Sonoma County Jail and upon release will be ordered to stay at least 50 yards away from any poultry farms and will be barred from interacting with any co-conspirators and forbidden from entering commercial feeding operations without permission. So there's a chalked win up to some producers there, seeing an activist potentially getting silenced for the time being. Well, Tanner, I know you reported on G.T. Thompson's devastating news earlier this week, but he's keeping a really positive, optimistic outlook. He was quoted by reporters just today saying he will not relent on the farm bill demands. He said, although he's had some challenges put forth in front of him here, Tanner, he is very much committed to getting the farm bill passed still during his time. However, significant headwinds do exist, not just for his health issues now, but also just what's going on in the swamp, as they say. But all in all, it sounds like he's keeping a really optimistic uh, outlook for getting this thing passed during his time in Congress. That's good. That's certainly somebody that we need on our side. I've just got a couple updates. Israel's military said that it has breached Hamas defense lines in Gaza's southern city and is looking at this as a symbolic victory. The U.N. Secretary General has stated that there is a rule that they could refer to that would avert human humanitarian catastrophes and avoid a new moral low. Of course, Israeli security cabinets have approved minimal increases in the amount of fuel for Gaza to prevent humanitarian collapse. But that's about all we got for news coming out of that region for today. So I'm out of headlines, Delaney. Yeah, we also just had a headline coming out of the Biden administration as President Biden is once again looking to potentially push some humanitarian aid and efforts to get extended to Ukraine and Israel, both respectively. But Senate Republicans are attempting to block the $110.5 billion emergency spending bill, asking for some of those dollars to be allocated elsewhere, such as border restrictions. The White House warned Congress earlier this week that the U.S. was about to run out of money if for the Ukraine funding as they've already allocated a nearly equal amount this far to provide Ukraine with weapons, economic and civil disaster aid and humanitarian aid. So sounds like there is a little bit of a stalemate going on there between President Biden and Congress. But that is my last update here as well. Tanner, aside from taking a look at the markets today, what do you say? Let's do it. As we take a look at the opening session here, recording just a little bit after the open grains are trading mostly higher across the board, aside from wheat, with the announcement that China has probably put in all of the short term wheat purchases that uh, they're going to need here for the short term. March corn up a penny and a quarter at 485. January soybeans up five and a half cents at 1301. March Chicago wheat down three and a quarter cent at 630 and a quarter. March hard red winter wheat down three and three quarter cents at 652. And March spring wheat. The only wheat contract here up higher, just a quarter of a cent at 7.30 and three quarters. Livestock here at the mid-morning trade are trading lower across the board. February live cattle down 47.5 cents at a buck 63.07. January feeder 
are the only market here pushing higher just a tad, 27 and a half cents on the board, higher at 210.42. In February, lean hogs down a dollar 37 and a half today at 67.92 and a half. Tanner, for today's conversation, we are kicking it over to chat pork and the pork outlook with Scott Hayes, the national pork producer's current farmer president. Catching up today with Scott Hayes, the National Pork Producers President, and also a Missouri pig farmer. Scott, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you for being here. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So, Scott, you started your term as president back in March, so you're a little over halfway through your year now. What's been some of the biggest things you feel like you've accomplished during your term? Well, the the farm bill has is, is been a lot of work this year. We Obviously, we knew that one was coming, um, and uh, work started on that even before I became president. You know, getting our uh, technical input in, that happens uh, a year or more in advance. Uh, lately, you know, we're down to the point where it should just be working on funding for, for our ask, uh, and then we find out that Congress is going to kick that can down the road uh, uh, probably another year. It'll be the next president's uh, responsibility to hopefully see this thing to the finish line, right? Well, uh, yeah, we're certainly hoping it gets done sooner than that because of, of some of our priorities in the farm bill, uh, you know, with uh, with regards to uh, animal, foreign animal disease prevention and preparedness. You know, we'd like to see those things uh, implemented sooner than that. Uh, we have some, some changes on, on market reporting that, that we'd like to see done. And then also uh, we've been talking about uh, uh, a fix for Prop 12 or some work to to make Prop 12 more palatable. So uh, all of those things we hate to wait another year for, but it looks like where we're at today. I'd like to dig into the MEAT Act here in just a second, but taking a step back, you're also a Missouri hog farmer. Tell us a little bit more about your operation. So I'm, I'm a fifth-generation producer. Uh, my great-grandfather bought the farm that we're on in, in 1918, and we're very proud of that. Uh, we've always had pigs, been known as pig people, you know, in, in our local community. Uh, but we, we made significant changes this year in our operation. Uh, this year was, was kind of a transition year for us. Uh, the, the farm's actually transitioning to three of my children who have decided to come back to the farm. and. But uh, not only with, with management, but also with the way we participate in the industry. We've been a, uh, I guess you would say, a traditional fair to finish operation for a long time. Uh, the, the next generation has decided to do it a little differently uh, and, and doesn't have the desire to own as many pigs as we've had in the past. Well, it's an exciting time, I'm sure, for your family nonetheless. So, Scott, digging into some of that legislation around Prop 12, where are we at with getting that passed? Well, like I say, it's it's tied up in the farm bill, so uh, we won't see anything on it in, until uh, late summer, early fall next year at the earliest, it looks like. Uh, Congressman Thompson, the chair of the, the House Ag Committee, says he has language that'll, that, that we're going to like. Hasn't let us peek behind the curtain too much on that, uh, but, but we trust uh, Congressman Thompson to, to do what needs to be done. You know, as we see that being implemented in California, 
the, the, the numbers that are in so far, which are very preliminary, I understand. But uh, what we're seeing is a, about a 27% increase in, in price of Prop 12 compliant products, while the rest of the country's actually seen a, about a 2% decrease in price. So, uh, you know, I think, I think there's uh, Californians that are already have in buyer's remorse on this, on, on Prop 12. Uh, but, you know, our bigger concern is, is with the consumers out there. And, and the consumers that get hurt first is obviously the, the lower income children. And, and those are the folks that, that need a high quality protein source the most. And it's not only the protein, it's the vitamins and minerals that, that you get from meat that, that you're really hard to get anyplace else. So, so that's a, a concern uh, for us that, uh, you know, where, where are those children going now to get the, the protein and, and the vitamins and minerals they need? So, uh, so I, I uh, but I hope other states that are considering something similar or, or uh, take a step back, pause for a minute and, and watch what's happening with implementation. A lot of the things that we said were going to happen are happening. Uh, and it's, you know, obviously it's a challenge at the farm level too, just to make that decision. Do, do I produce for the California market or do I produce for everyone else? I had not realized that food prices for pork have increased that much already in California. And you think about inflation and food inflation at the grocery store we're already experiencing. I'm sure that makes it even more challenging for California consumers who want to eat great pork. Sure. And, you know, and I think the, the message that, that we need to get to those consumers is, you know, what you're paying more for is no different than the rest of the country's paying less for. It's it's the it's still the exact same product. Uh, you know, the the uh, the folks in California that that dream this up are trying to sell it as a higher in, uh, animal welfare standard. But it's not. It's just a different standard. You know, and, and, and we know that on the farms, uh, you know, producers are still the best to choose how to raise pigs, how to take care of the animals on their farm. And, and you know, every commercial producer today is working hand in hand with, with a veterinarian. And that's really where the decision needs to lie on how pigs are raised is at the farm level with the producer and the veterinarian, not with the activist, you know, in California or any other state. So you mentioned producers are at that point where they're deciding maybe if they want to switch some things up to be able to sell to the Californian market. Have you had the opportunity in your role to talk to farmers who are starting to make that transition or, or considering making that transition and what some of the factors are that they're deciding on? Sure. I've, I've talked to some producers on both sides, some that have switched and some that have chose not to. And uh, it's uh, there's a there's a, a large economic decision there uh, because it is costly to make that switch. So it really comes down to you know what kind of a marketing agreement you can get on on the back end and and but there's there's so much uncertainty there. You know uh, it, it and it all starts with the California consumer. You know they said they want this. Now we're going to find out if they'll actually pay for it. And and even if they do pay for it, you know that. That money has to pass from the from the retailer, you know, probably through a couple of hands down to the processor and then to the producer. And so, you know, the, the, the mechanism to get that dollar 
uh, or get that money that it costs to make those upgrades from the consumer all the way back down to the producer, you got to trust that, that that's going to happen as well because most of the cost for this is, is more at the producer level. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. I haven't heard of anything, but are there any sort of grants or programs or payments out there available to producers who are considering making some of these changes or is it really all on the producer to take on that financial burden? There's nothing that, that we know of from the government level. Uh, I certainly wouldn't know about, you know, private agreements, but as far as I know, there, there's nothing out there. And it's, yeah, it's, it's all on the producer. So aside from Farm Bill and Prop 12, which I know are two really big pieces uh, of your focus the past couple of months here, what else are you focused on as we head into 2024? Well, we spent uh, a lot of time on trade. You know, pork producers, we love we love trade. Uh, we like free trade. Uh, we have agreements with 20 countries around the world, uh, trade agreements, and but we actually send product to over 100 countries. But those 20 countries take more product than, than all the rest of them combined. So, but those trade deals take maintenance. You know, there's always, always an issue. So uh, we, we are still spending time talking about trade. Uh, watching what's going on in the EU, you know, they, they're making some, some pretty significant shifts. Uh, they're, they're reducing production uh, just from uh, what they're uh, an environmental basis, not in this, uh, So that's, that's a little odd, uh, but, but we're watching that. Uh, but it, it may create some opportunity for us to, uh, to sell product, you know, into some of the countries that they've been selling into they they've been the the eu as a, as a whole has been the number one exporter of pork for a long time i think we're going to take that spot from them next year scott i've always wondered this when you're wrapping up your term as president you've, you set the bar pretty high for yourself but what other things would be on your horizon after your presidency is over well uh yeah i've, I've got some some exciting plans moving forward uh, I uh, just last week I accepted the position of, of the uh, executive director for the Missouri Pork Association. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, Don Nicodem has, has been an icon, has been a great director. He's been in that position for 40 years. So uh, coming in behind him is, uh, makes me a little nervous, but uh, a great board, a great, a great bunch of producers, and I'm, I'm looking forward to continue to advocate for, for the industry. You've got some big shoes to fill, it sounds like, but that's very exciting. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Scott, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Always appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, there you go, listeners. Thanks for hanging out with us. Another good Ag News Daily. Stick around. Remember, send us guest ideas. We appreciate all your input. But for today, what do you say, Delaney? Should we let them go? Let's let them go. Yeah.